Well, grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to think for a minute of the saints. Today is known as All Saints Day. Uh, you've probably heard the terminology. You're wondering, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure this is not a Catholic church. I don't remember praying to the... No, no, it's none of those kinds of backgrounded things. Uh, we do not elevate someone to some saintly uh, priesthood or some saintly status that says they are somehow better uh, off after they have gone to heaven or we don't pray to saints. We don't do any of that kind of thing. It, it's All Saints Day because Holy Scripture says... Remember those who came before. And in remembering them, we read through Holy Scripture and we're supposed to be encouraged. We're supposed to say, hey, absolutely, how many of you would like to sign up like Daniel, be thrown into the lion's den, and risk being eaten? How many do want to emulate? That would just be awesome, right? Or, or stoned and persecuted, whipped and beaten. How many of you would just, yeah, bring it on. That's, yeah, that's me. Huh. None? That's not the story of the saints that you, you're really drawn to, right? The stories of the saints that you're really drawn to are, wow, yeah, you know, I mean, when Jesus was in a boat and Peter, he said, come out on the way. I mean, walk on water. How many of you, I would receive sainthood if I could walk on water. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a pretty good one. Um, let's see. I, actually shutting the mouths of lions. I'll go in the lion's den as long as I know that I get to watch these lions who are hungry probably just slink off and go to sleep. I mean, that'd be pretty cool, right? If you absolutely knew that if you went in the lion's den and it was going to happen, you'd sign up and see that. Or call out to God and he heard your prayer and all of a sudden thunderbolts come down or fire upon your enemies. How many of you would like to sign up yeah, see, we're getting more in that, in that line. We're like, yeah, I'll be that saint. <laughs> I'll do it. Because I want to see the mighty hand of God come down. Who is, uh, who's the mighty saint in your life? See, we read through. Hebrews chapter 11 says, no, these are the saints that didn't receive what was promised. I mean, they walked by faith. They didn't get to see the Messiah. They never got to see Jesus. But it was commended to them, their righteousness, their being right before God, because they believed that God would send the Savior. So who is it in your life that you say, they're a saint? And I don't mean because of their good works or their good acts, but because of one character quality only. And that is, they walk by faith. I mean, the kind of person that you are amazed at when you hear the story of what's going on in their life, and all of a sudden you go, how do they do it? I mean, I, I want to give up. If I were going through cancer, I would give up. If I were going through and had a marriage like theirs, I would give up. Or kids that have disowned parents, I don't want anything to do with you, you're horrible, and name-calling, I'd want to give up. Death of a child, death of a spouse, I'd want to give up. 
Who's that person in your life that you go, man, I, I would aspire to have that kind of faith. I want you to know, you are sitting with some giants. You, you today, you're, as I look out, I, I know some of the story. You are sitting with giants of the faith. People that have struggled early on in their life with alcohol and who have now, let's see if I can remember, I'm not going to tell who it is, but I think it's nearly 60 years sober. Every day. I see marriages that have been restored. I see God's hand of protection upon kids who should have died. Story after story after story of people, and you know, and you say, man, I, I just... I don't know what God is doing, but I know that He works. I just wish I could get a little more evidence, right? A few more prayers answered the way I've prayed them. Because think about it. I mean, this life is pretty stinking good right here in Monument, Colorado. I mean, we have been blessed by the Almighty God with over 325 days of sunshine. We have a temperate climate. This summer we received vast amounts of rain, which then created a wonderful, beautiful fall. The weathermen are saying, don't worry, you winter sports people. El Nino is coming, and it is going to fall down upon you this winter. And some of you are going, praise God, we live here. And you say, snow, yeah, a little bit of cold, but you know, I've got friends in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and let me tell you, this is a God-ordained winter. <laughs> yeah. Right? What? Most of us have homes that are pretty stinking nice in a community that is pretty blessed. Not a whole lot of poverty. There's some and there's Nini, but I mean, as in general, I mean, this is an incredible place, and we and we spend money on our on our homes and fixing it up or changing the paint or add a few rooms. We spend money on on, on our landscaping. Because we can. I mean, this is a pretty blessed place. only God in the midst of this blessed place would just realize how blessed we are, how blessed He is to have us. I think that's where our thinking goes. The ancients were commended for their faith in not receiving we have a tendency to check our boxes by how much we've received from God. 
well, I must be blessed because I've received this, this, and this, and I have this, this, and this. Instead, the ancients were commended for what they didn't receive. They were encouraged in the midst of being persecuted. In fact, being persecuted was evidence that you're walking down the right path of faith. See, what we have a tendency to believe is that if, as much as my faith grows or I become a better believer or a more committed believer or I become more faithful, then everything's better. <laughs> they were commended for what they didn't receive and being persecuted. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Our faith life is not based on what God has accomplished in our life except for one act in history. Our faith life is dependent upon God becoming Jesus Christ, Son of God, dying on a cross, taking our sin, being placed in a grave, conquering death in the grave, standing up and going, now, you all take this message to everybody you come in contact with. Everybody. Everybody. I don't care if they're Jewish or Muslim. I don't care if they're from a different denomination or never heard of Jesus before. There is a promise and a hope and a message of salvation in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And that's what I want sent out. And by faith, we go, okay. No, well, what we have a tendency to do is go, okay, um, so what does it exactly look like, God? Um, I'd like to take some notes. Um, so if you could tell me exactly what my faith life should look like. Okay, Pastor Dar mentioned read Psalms and Proverbs. Okay, so I've read that. Is that good? I'm a, do I have a faithful life? Oh, I joined a life group. Okay, check. I, I got that one done. And I show up on Sunday for, for morning worship, and so I got that. I was really kind, and I let someone in front of me merge. I got that one. Okay, good. My cussing is less. That's good. I'm not as, as angry. Okay. I helped my neighbor once. We like to make a list. When in fact, what God describes is that faith is being sure of what you hope for. Now here's why I went down the line of talking about how great monument is. See, we kind of don't lack in this area for much. Let's be honest. We've got food on the table, food in the pantry, food in the freezer. And then we also have a beer fridge. I've seen some of your garages, I know. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> we have a roof over our heads. We have multiple vehicles. We are not lacking. But unfortunately, what I think happens is that we become so self-reliant that we get in the way of faith. Because what faith says is, I need you, God. 
I need you to provide for my food today and my home and my shelter and my job. I need you to show me a path of forgiveness when I am so angry, I don't even want to talk to this person. I need you to restore a marriage that I am convinced is broken. I am cold. I am dead. I want nothing to do with my spouse. You have got to fix it, God, because I want nothing to do with them. Let me tell you, you're sitting with giants. There are people sitting here with you today who have prayed and said, I... God cannot do this. I can no longer fight my addiction. I can no longer be angry for so long and unforgiving. I no longer can live without the peace that, I heart, that my heart so desperately desires. And in humility, they get out of the way and they say, God, what do you want? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. How many of you are not going where God wants you to go? You absolutely know. There is one area of your life right now that you know he wants you to go in and you are not going. I'm going to ask for a little, yeah, thank you for being honest. Some of you, I know, because if you raise your hand right now, Someone will go, oh, really? Tell me about that. No. <laughs> it's called accountability. It's really good for the body of Christ to actually be vulnerable to one another. It's actually good for the body of Christ to say, you know what? I need something more, bigger, greater than me. <sighs> Obeyed and went. He obeyed and went. So when God, in the midst of the proclamation of the word, says, this is deficient in your life, that call is God saying, I want you to go there and realize you're deficient in this thing. I want you to go there. I want you to confess your pride, your sin, the things that so easily entangle, and I want you to be destitute and down and out. I want you to be broken and dead. You see, church is a place to come and die. In all reality, it's the place to come and die at the foot of the cross. And I mean dead. I mean no, hold, not holding any more pretense, not holding on to a name or an image of yourself, but literally saying, God, what do you want? By faith, he made his home in a promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. This is not our home. And I know many of you traveled around the country and you said, man, when we retire, we're going to Colorado Springs. It is glorious, beautiful. It is wonderful schools and all this community. And you found a church and you said, and our church is awesome. And you said, this is, man, this is like heaven on earth. Don't make this your home. This is not your home. Heaven is home. This, this is not the end. This is not the end game. 
And though we spend a lot of time here, and though God has us placed right next to neighbors and with coworkers, we're placed there not to create a nice homey atmosphere. We're with those coworkers and those neighbors to lead them in paths of righteousness. Well, I don't have time. Then die to your schedule. My kids got to make a name for themselves. If they don't, if they don't do eight-year-old hockey, they'll never get onto the onto the team. Then die to the notion of something greater. But if I don't put in eighty hours, my boss will fire me. Then get a new job. The problem isn't God in faith in our lives. The problem is us who stand in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I know the stories. You lose a job or you get reassigned and all of a sudden you're like, why is this happening? And then three weeks later, what does God show you? Oh, well, I really wanted you to have time to be able to say yes. Or you find yourself not on one uh, team as a team mom, you find yourself on the other. You're the one that never wins a game. You're like, why, God? And all of a sudden, because your team isn't winning all the time, you have a lot more conversation to have with the people in the bleachers, and you realize someone needed you to put their hand on their shoulder and say, let's pray. ancients were commended for their faith, and they did not receive that which was promised, meaning they never got to see Jesus. They heard of Him. They heard of the Messiah. They knew that God would, would say, hey, I'm going to take you all home, but they died before He came, and yet none of them lost hope, and none of them gave up, and none of them quit. There's a song that always pops in my mind when I'm reading through this. Lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And it, what it reminds me is, is that I try to live my life in such a way as all these places that I do really well at, all my crowns, all these things that I think I deserve, the notoriety. And what Jesus is saying is, David, take the crowns off. Lay them here. Let me build you up into what I want you to be. Let me mold you and shape you. And the scary part is this. There's not a person here that doesn't believe that God would actually do it. The problem is you don't want him to. Because you've been holding on to that grudge for so long, you know how to live with the grudge. If he softens your heart, you won't have a grudge to hold on to. And if he follows you around and teaches you about how to forgive, because you've been forgiven so much by him, and if you all of a sudden have a heart that can be forgiving, you lose power over not forgiving people. 
And when you hold on to the past or to your image or to your success or to your bank account or to your retirement or whatever those things are, they're crowns, they're gods. And what he says is, is lay them here and quit picking them up again and trust me. Trust me. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Even though God had said, okay, I'm going to give you children as far as the, uh, as the stars in, numer- in numbers, there will be more than the sins in the sea, but I want you to sacrifice your son. And then we're told how he understood it. Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead. All right, I know you promised me a lot more family, but if you're going to have me sacrifice him, then I guess you're going to raise him from the dead. Now, that's a way to approach the day. Man, I don't have enough energy or time for my neighbors, let alone my own family, but I tell you what, God, I guess you're going to provide for me by the end of the day. I guess you're going to give me the time and energy. You're going to put the word of God on my lips so that I can speak to them. You're going to put a prayer on my heart and so I'll know exactly what to pray. So the faithful walk, not by sight, but with the hope and the promise of what Jesus has done and will do. And here is what he will do. He's coming back to take us home. And this isn't home. And so one day when Jesus comes, loud shout, great command, uh, trumpet, everyone, dead in Christ, are going to be raised. And guess what? At that day, you are going to see Jesus. You're going to see him in all his glory, and it's all going to make sense. And yes, you're going to bow, you're going to knee, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, and it won't matter the cancer, it won't matter the divorce, it won't matter the job changes, it won't matter the disappointments. None of this world will matter because Jesus will go, ha, come home. And we'll go, lead the way. And we'll walk. And for eternity, you will see and hear and smell and taste and touch the goodness of the Lord, no matter how absent it seems today. Friends in Christ, get out of the way. Shut your eyes and be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.